Hey, this is Pastor Jeremy from Awakened Church. I hope you enjoy this week's message. How many of you have ever heard the, uh, the term bucket list? Yeah. All right, bucket list. Um, I didn't know where the term came from, actually. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things that sometimes we say it, and we don't really know, or maybe you did, but I don't, like, I never really knew where it came from, right? So the, the saying comes from things that a person wants to do before they actually kick the bucket, <laughs> right? Do you know what kicking the bucket means? It's not like kicking the bucket, like Barry kicking the bucket there, but it's like whenever something, some things that you want to do before you die. That's another, that's another term for dying is kicking the bucket. And there's a whole nother road you can dive into and figure out why it was even called kicking the bucket when a person died. But you can Google that on your own time. But today I want to preach a message to you called the bucket list. Everybody say bucket list. The bucket list, the bucket list. Uh, so last week, uh, my family and I, we, um, we had the privilege to uh, take a week away down to the Florida Keys. Yeah, yeah, we love, we love the Florida Keys. We love our Keys people, our Keys people, Tom and Susan and Barry and Jerry. And so they have some connections down there that they helped us with. And uh, anyways, while we were down there, uh, the boys and I had a chance to go on a fishing trip. I'm not too much of a fisherman, but I'm from West Virginia, so I feel like it's in my blood, right? I gotta, gotta do a little bit of fishing. So, uh, so the boys and I went out on this fishing trip, and uh, the water was the calmest that the guy named Jason, who took us out on his boat, it was the calmest that he said he's ever seen the water in 43 years. <laughs> <laughs> it was just no current whatsoever moving through the water. I mean, it was just crazy calm. And of course, clear water. I, I just love the different colors of the water in the, in the Keys. And, um, but anyways, uh, it still, it didn't make for good fishing the way that he wanted us to fish, right? Because he was taking us to this spot and he was like, man, like when I say shark three o'clock, you're going to throw your, throw your line out there and we're going to catch a shark when it's, whenever it's there. And then I'll say shark one o'clock and one of the other guys cast, cast it over here and you're going to catch a shark and shark 12 o'clock or whatever. Like he's naming all these numbers. I'm like, I'm confused, man. But, but he's just like, there's, and then we start seeing fins all around this, we're like, this is all at once terrifying and all at once awesome. Yeah. So uh, he's just like, he's telling my youngest son, Mateo, he's like, uh, just don't put your big toe in the water, Mateo. That's the thing. Don't put it in there. That's good shark bait. Um, but, uh, but all we had to do was get the bait. I don't know who, if anyone's familiar with how you actually do some shark fishing or fishing in the Keys, but we got two boxes of chum. Anybody know what chum is? All right, like fish guts, everything that you don't want to eat in a fish. Right, it's really tasty. I tried some. Um, not real. No, I didn't do it, Barry. <laughs> you know because you tried it. <laughs> Anyways, we, we also got some. I think the, the, the type of fish that we were using for the shark was called ballyhoo. Does that sound right? Or wallyhoo? Ballyhoo. All right, I had no idea what any of this stuff was. And then we got some shrimp. I knew what shrimp were, so I could, I could handle that. But all we had to do was get the bait, and then he took us to this fishing spot, and it was supposed to be great, but it was too calm. So we really didn't catch anything there, so we just basically went joyriding around in his boat trying to find these spots, these spots to fish in. And Mateo caught a shark, a little shark. <laughs> I'm surprised I had to cue you on that. No world. I thought you guys would be excited. Mateo, hey, I'll give you one more chance. Mateo caught a shark. <laughs> He's here today. You should tell him. I caught a barracuda. 
Ooh. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That sounds a little more dangerous. So when I say that, you can say, ooh, I caught a barracuda. That was dangerous, man. That thing was like this big. It was so scary. But <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Where am I actually going with this story? I don't know. Uh, okay, so, so our fishing trip didn't, it, that's all we caught. But it was a great time according to us. But according to Jason, like it wasn't the best time because he was hoping we'd catch so much more fish. And then he started saying, he's like, man, when we get back to the house, I'm going to send you a picture of this fish that I caught. And so he sent me the picture of this fish. Now that's a fish, right? <laughs> that was a, that's a fish. I asked Jason, I actually texted him yesterday. I was like, can I show the church a picture of this fish? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I told him what I was preaching on. And, and so this fish was actually, catching this fish was a part of Jason's bucket list. Because Jason had brain cancer and was going through quite a time, and uh, he didn't really know how much longer he had left. And so catching a fish like this was on Jason's bucket list to catch. And it's a pretty amazing fish, right? I don't know if you guys have bucket lists. You guys have any bucket lists? You don't have to tell me what it is. Don't tell me what's on it. I'll take too much time. But uh, I, I don't really have one. I never really thought about it. Um, uh, probably some things that would be on my bucket list, maybe going to Hawaii. I'd like to go to Hawaii. Um, I would like to see revival. That's on a pastor's bucket list, right? I'd love to see people just passionately in love with Jesus, youth just laid down in love with Jesus, just crazy about him. Um, I would like to um, take my wife on an exotic vacation somewhere, that, just me and her. That'd be a nice thing, right? So all these things start popping in mind. I'd like to go to Papua New Guinea on a missions trip. That'd be really fun. Um, but just these different things started popping in my mind about a, what would be on my bucket list. And we're going to read today in the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if Jesus, Jesus had a bucket list. But Jesus, in the passage that we're going to read today, he had one year to live. And this passage occurs about Passover of 32 AD. And we know that Jesus died on Passover of 33 AD. So he had one year to live. And what message do you think Jesus would want to get to his disciples, get across to his disciples if he only had one, one, one year to live, right? This is what we're entering into. I had a conversation with someone not too long ago, like, like if you knew that you only had so much time to live, what would you do, right? What would your life consist of if you knew you only had this much time to go? Jesus knew he only had a, had a year to go. And so the primary message that he wanted to get across to his disciples that he reveals in Mark chapter six is this, is that Jesus is God the son. This is his message, seriously. This is his message that he wanted to get across to his disciples. He wanted them to know specifically that he is God the son or the son of God. This is what Jesus, he had a year to live. And this is the message he wanted to make sure that his disciples knew is that he is the son of God. Now, just before the episode that we're going to read, he provided, a, he did an amazing miracle. And it was the feeding of the 5,000. It was actually probably closer to 15 or 20,000, including women and children. He did an amazing miracle. And we walked through that a couple weeks ago. Um, Today we're going to read about how Jesus actually walked on the sea. But it's very interesting that 
that he did these two miracles, and we'll call them creative miracles. Everybody say creative miracles. We're gonna call them creative miracles because they're Genesis 1 type of miracles. They're Genesis 1 type of miracles where, where he, he literally created out of nothing. I mean, five fish and two loaves to feed over 15,000 people. It's like creating out of nothing, right? Essentially, it's like that. It's like, it's like he's showing himself to be God. He's not just healer. He's not just deliverer. He's not just their friend, their prophet, but he's actually God the Son. Like there is power inherent in him derived from God to create out of nothing. And now in the episode that we're going to read, he's walking on water, literally, however he did it, but making water become solid enough to walk on or else he didn't. He just walked on it, but it's like he was so creative. He is the creator God in Genesis 1. And, and I want to read just a few things to you as we think about how Jesus was revealing himself as, Genesis, as the Genesis 1 God, the creator God. And it's not just me saying this, but the Bible actually declares that God created through Jesus, right? So Jesus isn't just a good homeboy, but he is God in the flesh, <laughs> right? This is the message that he wanted to get across to his disciples. So uh, first of all, in Colossians chapter one, I believe, um, I want to read, read a passage there and then a passage in Hebrews one, and then we're going to get to the Mark six. Everybody good? All right. So just circling back real quick on Passover. So, so this was during Passover. The feeding of the 5,000 was during Passover. John 6 would tell us this. Uh, the walking on water was during Passover. And the reason that, that he's doing these things is because he's also, because whenever the Jews were celebrating Passover, they would be thinking of a guy with, whose name begins with M who led them out of Egypt. His name is Moses, right? So the Jews would be thinking of Moses the deliverer during this whole time. And so they would be thinking of how Moses, whenever Moses was leading the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt and to the promised land, what happened? God rained manna down from heaven, right? And he fed the people. But then what also did Moses do? Whenever they left Egypt, what happened to the Red Sea? All right. So now he's drawing this parallel as they're thinking about Moses the deliverer. He's drawing this parallel to himself, realizing, and then he would tell them in John 6, and we're going to read a little bit about that, about what these miracles actually mean, right? You're looking to Moses, but Hebrews chapter 3, I believe, would tell us that there's a greater than Moses here. Jesus is declaring to his people, hey, we're doing some, we're talking about Christ today. Is that all right with everybody, right? We're, 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 we're learning some Christology today who Jesus is, and, and, and just the importance of knowing who he is. And then we're going to have 12 points that will keep us here to about 5 o'clock. You ready? All right. Thought that was funny, didn't you, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, please, Jeremy, no. All right, here, here it is. Okay, so Colossians chapter 1, and, and just listen to this, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Did you catch that? 
For by him all things were created. The Genesis 1 God, Jesus. All right, now, now in Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Starting with verse 1. We'll get the air conditioner down in here, somebody, please. Just, just, just get it down for me. Thank you. Um, long ago at many times, this is Hebrew chapter, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, the Genesis 1 God. Amen? Amen. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having, be, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now John 6, and then we're going to get into our text today. John chapter 6. How many of you know it's important for us to understand and know who Jesus is? It's the most important thing. Listen, it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. Check it out. If the disciples would grasp this, if the disciples would grasp that he is the Genesis 1 God, that he is the Son of God, God the Son, if the disciples could truly understand this, then this would mean that nothing would be impossible for them on their journey. This would mean that no suffering that they would ever endure would ever be the end of them. If they could truly grasp that he is the beginning, the end, he is God in the flesh, nothing would be able to stand against them because he is the one that stands forever. Amen. If they could truly, so, so he knew the world, the, the road that they were headed on. He knew all that they were going to suffer. He knew that it wasn't going to be easy, but if they could just grasp this part of it, yes, he was walking beside them. Yes, he was for them, and he was teaching them. But man, he is God the Son. If you could just grasp the divinity of Jesus, you're going to go through life in victory because nothing defeats Jesus. He stands forever in victory. God, there is no rival to God. He is God. There is no rival. Preaching a little bit, Jeremy, all right. Uh, so, so we have John chapter 6 and verse 35. He's talking about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. He's given a little commentary on what this means. Everybody good? You all right? You li just listen to this. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said, this, said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, and check this out, this is important, that who... And actually, this is, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. So, so the thing is, is that we have to learn to behold Jesus. We have to learn to experience him. This is the key to our eternal life. This is the key to our resurrection. And the last day in our life here on earth is looking at Jesus. It's not looking at me. It's not looking at your favorite thing about church. It's not listening to your favorite worship music. It is looking to Jesus. 
beholding him, experiencing him. This is what he said. Now check this out. He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So the Jews are thinking around Passover, like, oh, Moses, deliverer, yeah, manna from heaven. Jesus is like, no, that wasn't the point. The whole reason that God provided the bread was to point to me because I am the bread of life. Okay? So, so he says also, and I'm almost done with this part. He says, um, I am the bread of life, verse 48. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Talking about himself. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. All right? So he gave his body for our life. That's what we just celebrated with communion, right? He gave his flesh. His flesh was torn for us. Our sins were placed upon him. He suffered the punishment for our sins so that we could have eternal life and not die because of all the bad things that we've done. He took our punishment for us. Amen? His flesh was torn for us. So now he says this. It's kind of, it's radical. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He's just saying to, to the crowd that day that this wasn't just something that happened by, by, by chance that he fed 5,000 people. He's wanting to, he's wanting to get Get, he's wanting them to get the message that he is the true bread that came down from heaven. He is God in the flesh come down from heaven to give them life, but they're only gonna have life through faith in him and his finished work on the cross. Now, what's interesting is that it says that whoever feeds on my flesh, so this is something that we have to do continually. How do you feed on the flesh of Jesus? <laughs> you learn to look at him. You learn to experience him. You learn, you learn to take him in, like, like you learn to take his life into you and that he becomes your all in all every day. Out of relationship with him, like this is one way whenever we come to the communion table that we commune with him, it's in relationship with him, that we experience him. But if this is all we do throughout the week, man, you're not feeding on him enough, right? Whenever we, have, whenever we read the word, we're feeding on him. Whenever we pray, we're feeding on him. Because it's like, just like we live by, by food and water, right? We live by Jesus's flesh and his blood. This is the only way we live, by faith in his flesh, what he did for us. And the blood, oh man, I just kicked the bucket. Uh, by his flesh and the blood that he poured out. Like this is our life. He was wanting them to realize this. This is your life. This is your life. This is a, he is our only life source. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm living. <laughs> I've been living ever since before I got here. I'm living, and now you're telling me that this is my life source? I'm telling you, man, you've never lived until you start feeding on the flesh of Jesus. You've never lived until you start allowing him to become your all in all, and you come to this place in your life where you're desperate enough to say, God, I can't go on without you. You are everything. Without you, I can't move. I can't live. I need you, right? Until we come to that place in our life, then you haven't really lived. You haven't lived. So he's inviting him. This is an invitation in to real life with Jesus, and it's a wild ride, guys. 
It is a wild ride. He's telling his disciples, like, this, this is life. I am the true bread that came down from, I'm the bread of life, man. If you want to live, you got to learn to take me in. Just like you're so concerned with feeding your stomach every day, food and water, you got to take me in every single day. I'm, I have daily bread for you. I'm everything that you need. If you feel empty today, just know he is your fulfillment. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus didn't really have a bucket list, but after he fed the 5,000, your Bible says and my Bible says that there were 12 buckets left over. Baskets, but just humor me. They're buckets, right? So my imagination says, my imagination says, what happened to those 12 buckets? Because you got, a, you got a group of hungry disciples. <laughs> or you got a group of men that are probably thinking as Jesus sends them away, we're going to read about it in just a second. They're not going to be like just leaving 12 buckets laying around. I bet they probably brought these 12 buckets with them on the boat, perhaps. But he had 12 buckets left over. And these 12 buckets were meant to prophesy to them or, or speak to them about who he is. And so we're going to go on a little bit of a journey. And here's where we want to end up. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, so here's, here's where I want to end up. Here's where I want to end up. We want to end up in the Matthew version of this, of this episode, right? We want to end up in the Matthew because um, this story was told, Jesus walking on the water was told in Matthew, Mark, and in John. And so I'm trying not to open up my, my computer. Um, what is it, 14? Okay, thank you very much. Matthew 14. And, and so we want to end up here in Matthew 14, 33. This is, this is what this episode, and this is what this should create in us today. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, go for it. It says in Matthew 14, 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, verse, verse 33, and those in the boat worshiped him, worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is where we wanna end up. The, the miracle of the bread, the bread and the loaves, the miracle of Jesus walking on water should teach us this that Jesus is the Son of God. So, let's read the Mark 6 passage. You ready? Or there's nobody ready. Anyways, uh, Mark 6, 43. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, between three and six, he came to them walking on the sea. Everybody say, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their heart was hardened. They had 12 buckets left over from the loaves, but their hearts were still hard and they didn't understand. We don't want to end up there. 
We want to have pliable, sensitive hearts today. Amen? We want to end up like, like the Matthew 14 uh, episode of the story where when they, when they invited Jesus back in the boat, then they all worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. This is where we want to end up. Not, not understanding about the fish and the loaves and all the leftovers that they had. So there's going to be, there's, we're going to go through this, go through this verse in, in, in Mark 6, verse 45, again. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus being the son of God means this, and here's what we see from verse 45. Is that it says, he made his disciples get into the boat. Understanding that Jesus is the Son of God means that he has the right and he has the ability to actually command us to do things. This word, I think we've become really, really like lax or really, really like, like I don't know, wimpy about the commands of Jesus. <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, I know you say not to do this, but I really feel like doing it. <laughs> I know you say this, but I'm not sure I'm really good with it. No, like Jesus being the son of God means that he created the world. The world is upheld by his words and he actually made his disciples get into the boat and go across to the other side. He commanded them to go. So Jesus has the ability to tell us to do things. Understanding him as the son of God means that he is divine and he can tell us where to go, how to go, what to do, how to do it. Amen. Amen? Like we obey him on his terms, not on our terms. This is the God we serve. Jesus is God. God the Son means he is divine and he can order our lives. He's ordering their lives, right? The next thing is, we, it says he went up on the mountain to pray. Verse 46, he, just, he sent them across and he went up on the mountain to pray. What does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus being the Son of God desperately wanted to commune with his Father. He's illustrating to us understanding that he is father means, or understanding that he is son means that he wanted to actually commune with the father. This was his desire to commune with his Abba, his daddy, his daddy. So, and, and, and as we understand that, then we understand that he's inviting us into this model that we're, we're, as since we know that Jesus communed with father, we have a desire to commune with father. Amen. Like this is, this is, as we know Jesus as son of God, then, then as we know that, then we are drawn into this relationship also that Jesus had with father. And we want to spend time in prayer, understanding that Jesus wanted to, he needed to. There was just times where he had to dismiss everything and get alone with his father. There's times where we have to learn to do this. Amen. Amen. There's a risk involved. He sent the disciples alone on the sea. And we're going to get into that in a second. There's always risk involved. There's always something you have to put off or something you have to say no to to say yes to time with God. You've done that this morning by spending time here. Right? You said no to some things to be here. And it's valuable to God. I want you to know that. It's valuable to him. Shake your head like this. All right. All right. So, so, so verse 47 says, And when evening came, the boat was on the sea, and he was alone on the land. There was distance now between between Jesus and the disciples. But what, but what we know about God is that even though physically Jesus was up on the mountain and he had sent them out on the sea, that there wasn't any real distance because, because God is omnipresent, right? 
God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. And so, so even though it looked like there was distance, Jesus still knew exactly what was going on. He still knew exactly what was going on. Some of us feel like, feel like there's so much distance between you and God. And so some, sometimes we just don't feel, feel like we're, we're, we're really close to him or whatever. I just want you to know that God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly the distance that you feel. And he sees you. He sees you. Verse 47 says, actually, that was already did verse 47. All right, I'm on my one, two, three, fourth bucket. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Remember I said that, that, that he sees you even though you may feel there's distance? He saw them, them making headway painfully. And that word there actually means torture. Like he saw the torture that they were against. He saw the opposition that they were against. Right, this is, this is the Genesis 1 God. This is the creator God. This is the God of all authority noticing, taking time to notice what his people were going through. How amazing is that, right? That he, was, he knows what you're going through. He sees the opposition. He sees how even when you're doing what he's telling you to do and following him as best as you know you can, that there's, there's some opposition and there's pain involved. He sees you. He sees you. This is the mag. What does this mean then? So if the disciples understood this, then they would understand that no matter where they were, what they were going for, going through, no matter who was trying to kill them, no matter who was beating them, no matter what, that God saw them. Amen. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. He doesn't just see you, but he comes to you. Sometimes at the time when we wouldn't expect it, he comes to you. This is the God who is all powerful, all divine, but he comes to you. Does that mean anything to anybody? That he's the God who comes to you. In your night, he comes to you. He sees you and he comes to you. He came from heaven to earth, but he also comes to us in the middle of our situation. He comes to you. His presence comes to you. Now, he walked on the sea. He walked on the sea. He was walking on what was trying to take them under, right? He was walking on the thing that was giving them very the, the most difficulty. He was walking on it. Meaning that he means that he was over it. He was above it. So he's not struggling. <laughs> if you're struggling, it doesn't mean that God's struggling. Sometimes we think that whenever we're going through things, maybe, maybe we don't, because we truly don't understand who God is, we're, we're thinking like, man, this must be impossible for God to, God to help me through. But he was over and above that thing that was most bothering them. He walked on the sea. He walked 
on the thing that was causing them the most difficulty. All right. And it says, he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Now, that, that thought kind of, kind of bothered me that he meant to pass by them. Why would you mean to pass by them? And, it, and then it made me think of, remember in the book of Acts, if you've read through the book of Acts, where Peter's shadow healed people. Where Jesus, another, another spot in the gospels, where he sent a word and he healed somebody. So Jesus, Jesus didn't have to come in their boat to help them. He was passing by and he was in their gaze, right? He knew exactly what they were going through. He told them to get to the other side and they were gonna make it even though they felt like they weren't gonna make it. But he was, he was gonna pass by them. But then they started crying out, right? They were crying out, crying out out of fear, right? Which that's a lot of times what we do. We cry out out of fear, like, this is going to take me under. I'm not going to make it. Whatever it is that you're going through, I'm crying out. Whatever it is that you're crying out. The, impo- the important part is, is that they cried out. So I want to encourage you to cry out because this, this is the God of all of heaven and all of earth. And he wants to help you, but he's not going to help until you cry. Or somebody cries out on your behalf. Amen? This is the way it works. You ask, he re- we, we, ask he re- we ask and we receive. This is a principle. They cried out. And it wasn't just kind of like this, oh, lay me down to sleep. But I mean, it was a loud, it was a loud, like shrieking cry. I mean, they were about to go down. They cried out. And so then, verse 50 says, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. We'll throw a pad on, a worship pad, just, um, Jeff, <laughs> thank you. Um, so when he spoke, he said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And that word there means courage. And so if you can think of the implications of the son of God coming, what if he is coming today to give you courage, right? Take heart, that's what that means. Be strong, be of good courage. Why? Because There's nothing greater than God. If we can understand this, if we can understand who it is that's giving us courage and strength, then we can understand that we have the the ability to walk through whatever it is that we're walking through. There's no no quit. There's no reason to stop because he is on our side. Amen? Amen? Take heart today. Take heart. Don't leave without courage. Don't leave without strength because if you do, it's only because you didn't cry out. Right? I mean, he's only going to move in response to your heart today, in the posture of your heart. And any time we meet together, any time you come in the word, any time you come to him in prayer, he's going to meet you based on, on your own cry. In the posture of your heart. Sometimes... We probably think that what we're going through means that we're not even in God's will and we're not even doing what he's, what he's called us to do. Listen, he sent them across to the other side. This horrible storm came up. It wasn't because they were out of his will. It's because things are going to happen, man, in life. Amen? Great point, Jeremy. I've had some things happen to me. <laughs> 
what he's doing, what he's doing is letting you know that you can have courage to face whatever it is because he is God the Son. And his nothing is stronger than his word. So when he says, take courage, man, take it. It's not like me saying it. And I don't think he would say it like, take courage. That's just my passion. <laughs> but take courage. Tap the person next to you and say, take, take courage. Take courage. So it says, and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. This is the God that's able to calm storms. He's the God, Wendy, who's able to calm the storm of your daughter yesterday. Amen? He's the God that's able to bring calm to you. And some of us in this room desperately need some calm in our mind, and our heart. We've been so worried about things, man. I've been in places in my life where I've been in, in, in times, stressful times, where I'm so worried about something that I'm literally like shaking until I grasp the truth that he is able to bring calm to me and there's no reason I should worry about what's tomorrow. Tomorrow's worries are sufficient, of them, sufficient for themselves. I can trust God and receive strength for the here and the now and no matter what. <laughs> if God be for me, who is against me? Amen? He's the God who's able to, to bring calm to you today for the winds to cease. He's the God who's able to bring healing to your body today. That storm of affliction, shh. The storm of anxiety, shh. Whatever it is, he got into the boat and the wind ceased. He didn't really need to get into the boat. I think he wanted to let the disciples know that he wanted to get into what they were in. <laughs> I'm into what you're into. I'm in. I'm here. And it says, and they were utterly astounded. The next thing. When was the last time Jesus utterly astounded you? Like literally, because of what he did, because of what he did, literally just threw you for a loop. The, the word, this word actually means like it brought you from your standing place. It like literally knocked you from your standing place. Wow. This God. So what do you need to trust God for today, right? Like that's what I've been trying to think of because we've been in spots in our life where like where we knew we needed God and if he didn't show up then there was no way forward. This is one of those moments for the disciples and he's just waiting to astonish them. He's waiting to amaze some people. He's waiting for some people to call out so he can amaze you with what you're doing. But the thing is, sometimes we just get so comfortable and we're like, well, I don't know if I need God for anything. I got food, I got clothes, I got blah, blah, blah. He's probably going to send you to a spot where he can astound you. <laughs> He's probably going to allow you to go to one of those spots because he knows you were divinely created so you can't function without being amazed and experiencing him and being dependent upon him. All right. But verse 52 says, for they did not understand about the loaves. I've just gone through 11 buckets. Remember there were 12 buckets full of leftovers. The disciples had no idea what was happening with that miracle. 
They just didn't understand. They weren't able to synthesize. They weren't able to put different parts together and bring understanding. Today, he's wanting to bring different parts together and help you understand that he is God the Son, that there's nothing too great for him, that there's nothing above him, that he is the Genesis one God. And, and you say, well, I don't have much to work with God, but he can create out of nothing. He can create new life out of death. He can bring beauty from ashes, hope from the hopeless. Come on. In verse 12, or the, the 12th point says, but their hearts were hardened. And so we don't want to, we don't want to be there in this hard, this, this heart, heart, hard-hearted place. Right? Some of us may be, and that word basically means calloused. I got a few calluses on my hand, believe it or not. But some of us, just because of what we've gone through, our hearts have become calloused. And God doesn't want us, God doesn't want our hearts to remain in that posture. He wants you to have a sensitive heart to the things of God. He wants you to have a sensitive heart towards him. And he's provided so much for us so that our hearts aren't hardened. He's provided so much for us. So like Matthew's, like Matthew's account says that they worshiped him, said, you are the son of God. And if he is God, the son, nothing can take you down. Nothing has more power than him. Come on, somebody, you believe it? He wants us, our hearts to be sensitive. Let's pray a simple prayer. I want to invite Shira to come up real quick. Just right where you are, uh, close your eyes and, and just say, God, give me a sensitive heart today. If this was Jesus's bucket list for his disciples, for them to know that yes, there's gonna be rough days ahead. There's gonna be things that you go through, but take heart, be strengthened. He's the everlasting God. He's for you. He's for your family. God, give me a sensitive heart again. I've grown callous. Give me a sensitive heart again. Okay, so I have some uh, words of knowledge here. I have eyesight restored. I I saw people with glasses on, um, taking their glasses off and being able to see normal and believe for that. How many of you want to believe for that? 2020 being restored. Amen. Um, and then I, I heard sore throat that God wants to heal um, a sore throat. Also um, brand new kidneys for someone. I, I saw brand new kidneys um, and also a headache gone in the name of Jesus. Um, so if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I'll just uh, say a prayer from here. Raise your hand if that's you. You've got a sore throat or you need eyesight restored, uh, brand new kidneys or a headache. Put your hand up if that's you. Okay. Father, we just ask you right now for your healing touch. 
over these eyes. Lord, I thank you for 2020, for those that are believing for total restoration for their eyes, whether it's nearsighted or farsighted. Lord, we're, we're asking you for total re restoration and healing for that eyesight. Just like you healed that lady in Africa, Father, you gave her new pupils. Lord, I know that you can restore these eyes right now. There's nothing impossible for you, God. And I command any sore throats to go and, and whatever's causing that sore throat to go in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Also, we're asking for brand new kidneys. Someone here needs brand new kidneys from heaven. We just ask you to release that right now over them. Thank you, Lord. And yes, we'll believe that for Sean too, that he is healed. There'll be no more cancer in his body and that you're giving him brand new kidneys right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I command all headaches to go in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Whatever's causing the headache, we command that to move. We speak peace, just as Jesus spoke peace to the wind and the waves. We speak peace to our to every body here. If there's any pain in anyone's body, we command that to leave now. And we thank you, Lord, that um, by your wounds, Lord Jesus, we are healed and made whole. I speak to minds right now. I speak to peace to, to the minds of the people here and the emotions of everyone here. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I, I speak to worry and fear and anxiety. We command that to go in the name of Jesus. We speak your peace, your shalom peace over your people right now and over their families too, Father. And if anyone's online that needs healing, we ask that you touch their bodies right now in Jesus' name. We say be healed in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure you like and share the podcast. And if you're ever in the Highlands County area, uh, make sure you stop by and visit us. Uh, we're located at 1121 uh, Memorial Drive in Avon Park, Florida. Uh, we'd love to meet you here.